Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different styles, the different grape varieties, and the history and culture associated with wine. In this episode, we're going to focus on Beaujolais, a famous but misunderstood region in the centre of France, just south of Burgundy. And to get to the heart of why Beaujolais is misunderstood, I want to start with an anecdote by Georges de Boeuf, who's responsible for a lot of Beaujolais, which is made and marketed around the world. And I met him a few years ago, and he's a dapper, well-dressed, elegant, elderly Frenchman, who told me the following anecdote that only a Frenchman can get away with. And the anecdote came because I asked him, what is Beaujolais? How would you explain Beaujolais? And so he told me that in France, of course, they think of wine like women. And Beaujolais is the girl that you meet at a nightclub, you dance with her, maybe you kiss with her, kiss her at the end of the night, you flirt with her, but the next day you forget completely about her. Burgundy is the, is the woman that you meet and fall in love with for the rest of your life, but you can never afford to marry her. While Bordeaux is the woman you meet and you marry and then you divorce her. So that was his explanation of Beaujolais in the context of Burgundy and Bordeaux. And it's ironic that perhaps the most offensive part of that anecdote is about Beaujolais, the girl that you simply flirt with and kiss and forget about. But arguably, it's also the least accurate of those three um, comparisons. And it's ironic that that comes from a major Beaujolais producer. And that perhaps gets to the heart of why Beaujolais is so misunderstood, because Beaujolais itself has marketed itself in a way that doesn't really um, explain the variety and the complexity of the wines. And in part, Georges de Boeuf is responsible for that, as well as its success. Because he is the producer who came up with the marketing idea of Beaujolais Nouveau, which is still a style of wine that most people are familiar with when they think of Beaujolais. And this is a wine which is released on the third uh, Thursday of November after the harvest. So the wine itself is probably only a month or two months old. You're basically tasting freshly fermented grape juice. And of course there is a novel aspect to that style of wine. People are really intrigued by what wine tastes like before it should be released. It's like tasting wine from the barrel. And so that was hugely successful. At the same time, people just simply associate that very young, fresh, fruity, easy-drinking style of wine with Beaujolais and forget that Beaujolais can actually be much more long-lived and much more complex. And Beaujolais Nouveau came about because Beaujolais had gone through a series of crises from the 19th century onwards. Like the rest of France, it suffered from phylloxera, but it was actually one of the first regions to recover from phylloxera. And so, because nowhere else or very few other places in France were producing wine, Beaujolais really decided to cash in on the gap in the market. So they planted everywhere and produced lots and lots of wine. The trouble is, elsewhere in France they did recover from phylloxera, and so Beaujolais was simply overproducing more wine than, than, the, the, than France wanted and so there's a huge surplus of wine. And then we have the First World War and the Second World War. So Beaujolais was really struggling when we came to the 1960s. And along came Georges de Boeuf, and he came up with the marketing idea of Beaujolais Nouveau. And it was often um, transported in barrels, not even put in bottle, sold in the UK in the barrels. And he saw that, that novel um, aspect of tasting wine from the barrel, which is really, really young. And so by the 1990s, 50% of the sales of Beaujolais were Beaujolais Nouveau, giving you an idea of just how popular this style of wine was. But of course, these wines were sold just a couple of months after harvest, drunk immediately, and then everyone forgets about Beaujolais, going back to George Bus's anecdote. This style of wine then became unfashionable. It's still made, very popular in Japan, where uh, the Japanese will bathe in baths of uh, Beaujolais Nouveau. 
But because it's unfashionable worldwide, Beaujolais is tainted with that perception of simply being a young, fruity wine. But Beaujolais is much more than that. It is much more than the girl that you simply f flirt with. So let's look in detail at Beaujolais, starting with its geography and its climate. So it's south of Burgundy, and it is a continuation of the Maconnais, uh, but Beaujolais and Maconnais do share quite a few things in common. But um, in the Maconnais you have a mixture of limestone soils where the best wines are produced from Chardonnay, and, but then you also have granite-based soils where there is uh, Gamay grown, and that continues into Beaujolais, which is all granite-based. granite And um, the climate is warm, but still continental, very varied soils, so that although they're granite-based, there is a lot of variety to the soils, which is why there is so much uh, different styles of wine produced in Beaujolais, mostly from the same grape. To the south, the vineyards are flat, and these are rich clay soils, and these produce the lighter styles of Beaujolais, the simpler, fruitier, younger drinking wines. As you go to the north, the hillsides the rise up from the uh, flat vineyards, and here there's more granite with real variety of volcanic and sand and schist soils varying from village to village and this is where the best wines are produced. In Beaujolais the plantings are very dense and it can be up to 13,000 vines per hectare making it one of the most densely planted regions in the world. And this is, this is because Gamay is quite a high yielding grape so you really want those dense plantings to make the, the vines compete with each other to um, lower the yields or control the yields and get more structure from the wines. And so the highest or the most densely planted vineyards are those in the hillsides where you're looking for the highest quality. And these are planted to gobelets, they're all like really really small uh, bush vines. In uh, Beaujolais, Gamay is 98% of plantings. And again, Gamay is a misunderstood grape, so Beaujolais is a misunderstood region and Gamay is a misunderstood grape, so it's kind of a double whammy. This goes back to Philip the Bold, who was a Duke of Burgundy, and he famously outlawed uh, Gamay from Burgundy and only allowed plantings of Pinot Noir. The reason this is misleading and has created a misleading perception of Gamay is because Burgundy did not include Beaujolais at that time. So he was not outlawing Gamay from Beaujolais or even from the Maconnais, he was outlawing, outlawing it from the Cote d'Or. And that's quite right. Gamay is not suited to the limestone soils of the Côte d'Or, just as Pinot Noir is not suited to the granite soils of Maconnais or of um, Beaujolais. So just because Gamay doesn't work in the Côte d'Or does not mean it's a low-quality variety. The trouble was, in the 19th century, when Burgundy became increasingly popular, a lot of growers did plant Gamay in Burgundy because it's much higher yielding and easier to work with. It's earlier ripening than Pinot Noir, but the wines are just not as successful. So that also damaged Gamay's reputation. But when you taste Gamay from Beaujolais, especially the best wines, you realize that it's capable of producing extremely high quality. The consistent uh, nature of Gamay regardless of qualities, that it's a fruity wine, it's early ripening, high yields, but it gets more tannic on the hillsides. And then there is um, some Chardonnay planted in Beaujolais, it's only 2%, so it's not very important at all. The winemaking is very important in Beaujolais, uh, when you're working with Gamay, and most wines are made with semi-carbonic maceration. So this means uh, picking the, the grapes as whole bunches, no destemming, simply putting them in a tank or a barrel, and allowing the, um, the, the grapes to start fermenting with their own natural yeast and the grapes start to burst and when they burst they release carbonic, um, carbon dioxide and that kickstarts the fermentation and the carbon, the carbon dioxide pushes up uh, through the grapes to the top of the tank and that causes the grapes to sink down in each other so they're all uh, fermenting on each, each um, the skins of each other and that uh, produces a fruitier wine also less tannin 
and so it's a softer style of wine for that easier drinking style. So some of the top producers do not use semi-carbonate maceration because they want the wines to age longer, but it's certainly extremely widespread in uh, Beaujolais. And this produces uh, quite particular flavours of banana and bubblegum and kirsch, and if you take, once you get used to carbonate maceration, you really uh, taste or smell those flavours quite immediately and quite distinctly. Uh, chaptalization is allowed in Beaujolais, which is adding sugar to get the alcohol up, to get more body, which is controversial, and that can lead to producers picking grapes quite early and then just simply adding sugar. Uh, again, the top producers may use chaptalization when necessary, but others will not. The uh, appellation structure in Beaujolais, we have simple Beaujolais AC, which covers the whole area, mainly grown in those flat vineyards. There's also, and that's where Beaujolais Nouveau will be grown also. There's also Beaujolais Blanc from Chardonnay and Beaujolais Rosé, very, very, very small amounts. And then we have Beaujolais Village, which is going up the slopes from the plains, getting slightly higher quality. 38 villages can add their, add their wine to Beaujolais Village, and it's going to have a bit more structure and a bit more concentration than simple Beaujolais. And then we have Beaujolais Cru, which are 10 uh, Cru, or villages, at the top of the, vi of the top of the hillsides, so higher up more dense plantings and the wines have much more concentration, much more flavour and power and potentially more longevity. And this is where um, Beaujolais really excels. And Beaujolais can be extremely good value. The simple Beaujolais is very cheap and that's great if you want a cheap fruity wine. Beaujolais Cru be maybe $20, 30 at the most and for the quality that you get from a Cru Beaujolais this is extremely good value. And this is where the word terroir comes into play, because these ten villages, these ten crew, really do produce different styles of wine, all according to the locality. And with that terroir aspect, there is an increasing amount of investment from Burgundy into Beaujolais, both for the simple wines, but also for the high-quality crew. So there are ten crew. Let's go through them from north to south very quickly. The most northern one is Saint-Amour, which is very close to Burgundy, and indeed this is where Beaujolais Blanc is produced, and a lot of producers also make Saint-Varin, which is actually a Burgundy appellation, but a lot of producers get their white grapes from there also. 320 hectares of plantings, and these are big spicy wines, and the name Saint-Amour, Saint Love, means that these wines apparently sell well on St. Valentine's Day, such is the world that we live in. Then we go to Juliana, which has 600 hectares, so a big, more plantings than Santamore. And this is one of my favourite crew, because it's a really nice cross between the young, fruity style of Beaujolais and the more tannic, longer-lived style. And Juliana is best drunk about two to three years after the vintage, so it has a really nice concentration without being too, too much. Then we have Chenas, which is 285 hectares and is the smallest of uh, the Beaujolais crew. And then we go to the most famous, which is Moulin Avon, which is named after a local windmill. 640 hectares of land here. And Moulin Avon lasts a long time, it's concentrated, and it becomes more like Pinot Noir as it ages. And this is the most expensive cru, because it is the most age-worthy. And if you taste Beaujolais when it's five or even ten years old, you realise what a complex wine Beaujolais can be when it's from a village like Moulin Avon. And it does become like more like Pinot Noir, with those red fruits, the tannins softening, but still that real um, expressive concentration to the wines. Then we have Fleury, which literally um, means floral, and that's what the wines taste like. It's floral, elegant, perfumed. 800 hectares of land planted here, and this is also a famous and more expensive cru. And then we have Cherouble with 370 hectares, and this is the highest of the crew. And if you go to Cherouble, there are spectacular views over the plains of Beaujolais. Beaujolais is an incredibly beautiful 
region. Very, uh, still very rural and bucolic. The villages have these tiny streets which you have to wind your car around. Really recommend visiting, especially as it's such an underappreciated region. And the wines of Cherubla are light, refreshing and young. And this is the most typical Beaujolais style of the crew. Then we have Morgon, which is based around the village of Villiers-Morgon. 1100 hectares of land here. And there is actually a verb in French, apparently. I've never actually heard anyone use it, but apparently it exists. And it's Morganet, to Morgon, which means to become more like Pinot Noir as a wine ages. And so Morgon, like Moulin-Avon, is denser and longer lived, and these wines will age very well. Then we have Renier, which was made a crew in 1988, so it's the youngest of the uh, crew. 750 hectares of land here, and this is a, another high crew, more to the west, and the wines are more aromatic. And then finally we have two uh, crew which are connected with each other. There's Bruy, which is uh, mo the most similar to Beaujolais Village, fruity and early drinking style. With 1300 of hectares, this is the most planted of the crew. And this is based around the, um, the bottom of Mont Bruy, which is a volcanic uh, mountain. And higher up on the slopes of that, vol that volcano are Côte de Bruy, which has just 310 hectares, so quite small. Higher up, much more concentrated and longer lived. And these are fantastic wines just because of that extra height and elevation, which kind of sums up the difference between the Cru Beaujolais and the simple Beaujolais from the plain. So that is Beaujolais. Really seek these wines out. They're not expensive. Explore the different crew, because that's where Beaujolais is at its most exciting. But also be aware that people really do like Beaujolais, and to a certain extent Beaujolais Nouveau, because they're fruity and young, and people do appreciate that style, especially when they don't cost very much. So, thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.